Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power All peoples, nation, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And our second reading can be found on page 1058. And that's Luke chapter 22, beginning to read at verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Well, good evening. Um, Great to have you with us. Uh, My name's Andy, if we haven't met. uh, I'm the uh, Minister for Students on the staff team here. And um, we're going to be having a look at this passage from Luke 22 together, finishing off our series, uh, looking at these chapters from Luke before taking a bit of a break for Christmas. Um, As we get going, do keep the passage open. Uh, If it helps, there's a little bit of space on uh, one of the pieces of paper you were given, which have some headings. The more observant will notice that I changed some of them, so that'll keep you awake as we go through, if nothing else will. And um, I'm going to pray for the Lord's help as we come to this. And so let us pray. Divine instructor, gracious Lord, be now and always near. Teach us to love your sacred word and to view our saviour here. Our Lord God, we pray that we would indeed see our saviour here in the pages of the Bible and grow to know him better this evening. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I thought I'd start this evening with a confession. Um, I've got a confession for you. I have never been able to see those 3D pictures. Um, do you know the ones that I mean? It looks like a sort of absolute mess on the piece of paper, but um, my many torturers tell me that if you stand back and cross your eyes and stand on one leg and look really carefully at the picture for long enough, eventually a 3D sailing boat will just come straight out of the picture or whatever it is. And I don't know if you've ever been able to see them, to sort of look carefully enough at one of those pictures to see the image that's there in the middle of the mess. Um, I've never been able to see one, and um, I'm not quite enough of a conspiracy theorist to think that everyone in the world is lying, so I trust that some of you will have seen these pictures. But I wonder, what do you make of the arrest, the trial and execution of Jesus of Nazareth? At first glance, at first look, it looks like a tragic mess. Here is a popular young preacher from Galilee. He's powerful, kind, and compassionate. He's a man who changes people's lives when they meet him. And in the passage we're looking at this evening, darkness reigns over the scene. He's betrayed. He stops his disciples from defending him before being dragged off by an armed crowd to face a kangaroo court and later that week to be killed. It looks like a tragic mess, the arrest of Jesus. And many have seen it that way. Uh, One writer from the early 20th century um, describes the scene and he says... In here at the end of Luke's gospel, you see the one truly great man put his shoulder to the wheel of history, and as he seeks to turn it, the wheel falls upon him and crushes him. A tragic mess. And yet, Luke writes these words so that we would have certainty about the things we've been taught. That's how he begins his gospel. He wants his readers to believe with confidence the things that they know about the Lord Jesus. And as we come to the arrest, if we stand back and look at the details, if we take in the individual little things that Luke records for us, um, hopefully we don't need to cross our eyes and stand on one leg. But if we look carefully we see that far more is going on in the arrest of Jesus than the sort of tragic mess that appears there at first glance. And I hope that as we get into this text together, if you're a Christian here this evening, you'll see with clarity something of our saviour, the Lord Jesus, and it'll make you want to keep trusting him, to have a confident faith that, that keeps on trusting and loving Jesus day by day. I hope that if you're here this evening and you're just looking in on the Christian faith, there are always a number like that here. And if you're just looking into things, I hope that as we come to the arrest of Jesus together, you'll see things that, that make Jesus more attractive to you. And more than that, make believing in Jesus, trusting him, something that seems more plausible, more doable for you. Uh, the arrest um, is broken up by three questions And whether Jesus is asking or answering the questions, we see that he dominates the scene even as the crowd comes to arrest him. So what do we see? Well, firstly, we see a tragic betrayal. 
a tragic betrayal. The first question is there in verse 48. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And it is a tragic scene here as Jesus is arrested. It's, it's got emotional weight and depth to it. It's a, it's a tearjerker of a scene. Have a look down at verse 47 again. While he was still speaking, this is on the Mount of Olives, having um, gone there to pray with his disciples, as he was still speaking, a crowd came up and a man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And there's emotion to this scene, isn't there? Just look at the details as as, um, Luke records them. A man called Judas, one of the twelve. Now, I don't know who your best friends are. I wonder if you can think who your closest mates are, but the 12 were Jesus' closest friends and most trusted followers, his disciples, his inner circle. Um, He'd lived with them for three years. Um, Judas was someone who'd not just seen Jesus' miracles, but who'd shared meals with him, who'd shared jokes with him. They'd walked literally hundreds of miles in each other's company, and we're reminded here that that man, Judas, one of the 12, one of Jesus' best mates, is leading the crowd. Actually, it's a brazen betrayal. We're told that Judas was leading them at the front. And most painful of all, he approaches Jesus to kiss him. I guess in um, modern uh, forward, uh, men don't kiss each other all that often. Um, Unless you're playing Premier League football or something like that, generally it's more of a hearty handshake or something like that. But um, the same is, um, to be honest, true in the first century Near East. So it's not not a sort of everyday thing. It's not kind of um, welcome to the dinner party, hi Jesus, two pecks on the cheek here. The word for a kiss, well, it comes from the word to love. Now, here is an expression of devotion and care, an expression of loyalty. Here is a close friend coming to give Jesus a kiss to show his care for him. And yet, of course, it doesn't show his care, does it? And Jesus sees the irony. Verse 48, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I have to say, I'm fortunate that in my life, I don't think I've ever experienced this kind of betrayal. But betrayal truly is an awful thing, isn't it? It's almost, it's almost uniquely devastating. You know, you might think, um, for someone who you know doesn't like you, you sort of expect that they might have it in for you. You've, kind of, you've got your barriers up, don't you? But here is one who is a close friend who comes deliberately to hurt you. It's almost uniquely devastating, isn't it? It doesn't just destroy the relationship. It threatens all future relationships because betrayal destroys trust. If one of your friends could treat you like this, how many others could do so? It's an extremely devastating thing that happens to Jesus in the garden. It's a tragic betrayal. And we need to see this. Um, We need to see this because we often say that Jesus knows what it is to suffer, but here we see it. 
When Jesus talks about human suffering, he doesn't pontificate from the philosopher's armchair. He's experienced profound and painful emotional suffering. Here is something terrible that happens to Jesus. He knows what it is to be deeply disappointed, to suffer terrible emotional anguish and heartache. He knows what it is to experience cruelty and be betrayed. Now, when we think about the God that we worship, he's not far off from suffering. In the person of the Lord Jesus, he suffered emotionally. Judas betrays him, one of the 12, one of his friends. And yet, we need to look closer. We need to think more deeply. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 48 to see the whole picture. Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Not are you betraying me with a kiss? Are you betraying the son of man? We had that reading from Daniel 7, didn't we? Son of man is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. And um, it's not just a clever way of saying, I've got a dad. It's Jesus pointing back to Daniel 7 and that promise that one day God would send a king who would be judge and ruler of every person. That in a world in rebellion against God, there would be one man who would hold everything to account, a king who would sit on heaven's throne and rule. And Jesus says, Judas, are you betraying the everlasting king of the world, your judge, with a kiss? It's a tragic betrayal because of what Jesus suffers, but the real tragedy is not just um, who betrays Jesus, but who is betrayed here. Just flip back to verse 21 with me for a moment. It's just um, a little further up the page. Um, Jesus is having a final supper just a few hours before this with his disciples, and he says to them, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Do you see, the tragedy here is not only that Jesus suffers, but that it is Jesus who is betrayed. Not just any other religious teacher, but the one before whom every person will give account, the ruler and judge To betray a parent is a terrible thing. To betray a politician or leader, to deliberately harm, I don't know, the queen or one of the royal family would be a terrible crime. But to stick the knife in the back of the king of the universe. It's a tragic thing that Judas does here. Uh, I've been a Christian for 17 years now, and um, I guess it's not a long time by many people's reckoning, but in that time I've seen plenty of people turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's a sad thing in so many ways. It's sad for the way that it, um, it affects the fellowship of the church. It's sad for the way that it reflects poorly on people, but, but saddest of all, there is someone walking away from their judge. Uh, Judas goes there looking for all the world like a friend of Jesus. He plants a kiss on Jesus' face. But he will stand before Jesus 
in judgment. And so it's a tragic betrayal. And these words of Jesus, they're like an appeal. They're like a warning. Will you really betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Don't do it, Judas. Come back. And they're a word of warning, a word of appeal to any of us who are tempted to turn our backs on the Lord Jesus and reject him. Jesus says that he's the son of man. Don't do it. Turn back. And so we see a tragic betrayal in the arrest of Jesus. Yes, it's painful. Yes, he suffers. But look deeper. See the whole picture. It's a short-sighted, a foolish, a tragic betrayal because Jesus is the son of man who will rule. And of course, we see that three days after he's killed, he rises again to ascend to heaven's throne, a tragic betrayal. Uh, But secondly, here in Jesus' arrest, we see tremendous compassion. Uh, If Jesus goes to the cross because of a tragic betrayal, he also goes because of his tremendous compassion. Look again at verse 49 with me. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. You see, again, Jesus' followers, they see the tragic mess in the garden. That's all they see, an armed mob coming to take Jesus, drag him away and have him killed. They see their hopes and dreams about to be devastated. And um, you can picture Jesus, the motion picture, as it goes through their minds, You know, this is the moment where the brave disciples with their two swords, we know that's what they've got because they tell us earlier, the brave disciples with two swords fend off the guards, Jesus is able to make a dash for safety and everyone rejoices. Except that's not quite how the scene plays out, is it? I mean, actually, first of all, the scene goes wrong when um, one of the disciples cuts off the servant's ear. Um, I mean, um, Luke sort of spares his blushes, but the other Gospels tell us it was Peter who did this. And I guess if you're the servant, you probably have to thank God that his hobby was fishing and not swordsmanship. But here's first blood to team Jesus, or so it would seem, until Jesus cries out, verse 51, no more of this. No more of this. That's it. Fight over The film is not going to unfold in the way the disciples have imagined. There'll be no valiant escape. It's not going to be one of those stories where the mess is retreated from to regroup. No, no more of this. And what happens next is incredible, frankly. Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. The way, the, the way that Luke describes this miracle is so matter-of-fact, we, um, we could almost miss it in the story, couldn't we? It's almost as if he says, you know, Jesus reached out and stuck a fridge magnet on or something like that. You know, um, G- he touched the man's ear and healed him, and off we go. But think for a moment, step back, see the picture as a whole. This man is part of the crowd who has come to catch Jesus and take him away to his death. This man is Jesus' enemy, come to ensure that Jesus is killed. 
And we've no record here of him asking Jesus to heal him. He doesn't beg for mercy. This isn't a great conversion story. He doesn't switch sides. No, Jesus just reaches out and heals him. The great compassion of Jesus is shown in this scene as he reaches out to um, another suffering servant and, um, and heals him. Here is Jesus, who is a man who doesn't just preach that we should love our enemies, but at the moment when he could be most excused for thinking only of his own problems, shows tremendous compassion to another, not just any other, but to an enemy. Uh, You might have heard of the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was um, arrested by the Nazis and eventually died Um, at their hands because of his opposition to to Adolf Hitler and all that he stood for. And um, one of the things that he's sort of famous for is that during his time in prison in Nazi Germany, he showed a remarkable level of kindness and even care to his prison guards. He was so kind, even to the most cruel and despised of his guards, that it shamed them and everything that they stood for. Here was a man who was compassionate to his enemies in the most remarkable circumstances. And even he would say it was just a pale imitation of the compassion of his master towards his enemies. Here is one who sees a man who has come to ensure his death and reaches out to him in kindness and grace. And of course, this one servant, well, he's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Because when Jesus says those words, no more of this, he's effectively signing his death warrant. He's saying to the disciples, there'll be no fighting, there'll be no running, I will go to the cross. And deliberately going there. And it's at the cross that Jesus showed compassion to his enemies more than any other. You see, here is one enemy who Jesus reaches out to heal. But at the cross, while we were still sinners, that is, while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. Christ goes to the cross quite deliberately, without a struggle, to bear the punishment that his enemies deserve so that they can be welcomed into friendship with God. He goes to suffer on our behalf. Jesus went to the cross to save the very people whose sin had sent him there. The great and tremendous compassion of Jesus as he goes to the cross. See, here's the thing. We often talk about God's love. But here we see that God's love is not just an idea. It's not just a proposition. It's not just something you read about in a book. God's love is a man going willingly to die in compassion for his enemies. Jesus is someone who cares deeply about the suffering of the world and who cares deeply about the sinful people who cause that suffering and wants to save us. And the tremendous compassion of the Lord Jesus. But finally, we see that Jesus goes to the cross in total control And if you're um, one with the handout, um, this is where you wake up and realize that the headings have slightly changed. But Jesus goes to the cross in total 
control. In this arrest scene, um, to a casual observer, again, we'd have to say Jesus is, is out of control. Here are the crowd coming to drag him off to be arrested. Here he is protesting his innocence before he's dragged off to be killed. And it seems to be a scene of total victory for God's enemies. And yet again, we need to stand back and look at the details of what Luke tells us to see the picture as it leaps out at us. Uh, it's incredible, really, that when you look at this scene, Jesus, um, Jesus seems completely calm throughout. There's no sense of panic. There's no aris- uh, resisting arrest. Um, there's no sense of his would-be plans and his um, kingdom coming crashing down around his ears. Jesus seems totally calm and in control. Have a look again at verse 52. Uh, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who'd come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. You see, Jesus says, you could have come and arrested me any time. You know, the last few chapters, he's been publicly teaching in a public place where they all work. Any time they could have come and taken him away. So why haven't they? And there's all sorts of answers we might expect to give to that. We might say, well, they feared the crowd. Luke's told us that earlier on. We might say they were waiting for just the moment or something like that. But look how Jesus explains it. Jesus says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Do you, see, do you see what's going on here? Jesus says, um, you didn't come before, you've come now, because this is your hour. Why didn't they come before? Well, it wasn't their hour. It wasn't the time for darkness to reign. We see Jesus' total control, even as Evil seems to dominate the scene. When Jesus says that darkness reigns here, I think he's talking about both human and spiritual evil. The night is a metaphor for the forces of this world aligned against Jesus, but they have an hour, and it is is only the hour that God permits. You haven't come before, but, but this, now, this is your hour how is it that even at this moment of weakness, Jesus can claim that kind of supreme control over the situation? Well, of course, it's because Jesus says he is the son of man, the great king over everything. I mean, isn't it remarkable, the poise of Jesus of Nazareth, that here he stands about to be taken to his death and he talks about his everlasting kingdom. Here he is about to be shackled and he talks about how he rules over all people. And Jesus says, well, this is your hour. Uh, Notice, too, that it's only an hour when darkness reigns. And, of course, we're going to see that there's a snapshot of time in history where Jesus hangs upon a cross and evil seems to have won the day, but then three days later, Jesus will rise from the dead. And if there is an hour when darkness reigns, there is an eternity when Jesus rules. Even here, as Jesus hands himself over to be arrested by the mob, he is in total control. He goes quite deliberately into the darkness 
because of his rule and because of his compassionate love for enemies to die in our place. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of um, cricket. It's a sport that I've never really understood, to be honest, but I know there are a number here who'll be getting up every morning and checking the scores of the ashes as they come in each morning. Anyone here who's, um, who's waking up to that? I know there are also probably one or two who are up all night, but we won't talk about that. Um, you wake up each morning in hope that something glorious will have happened, but with no certainty. Is that fair? Hope, but no certainty. And we need to hear of the arrest of Jesus in these terms because day by day, very often, as we seek to trust in this one who died for us, we feel like we have hope in God's promises, but maybe we worry that there's no certainty. You know, circumstances in our lives seem to be a mess, just everything's totally out of control. And we wonder, can Jesus keep his promise to have me with him in eternity forever, in that place where there'll be no more tears or suffering or pain? We have hope, but maybe we feel a bit like the ashes where we have no certainty. And here we see in precisely the moment where it seems that evil has won and everything is spinning out of control, when we see nothing but a mess on the surface, that Jesus rules. The Son of Man. The one who can restore a servant's ear just by touching it. The one who chooses the very time and hour when he goes to his death. Things might seem completely out of control, But Jesus rules even as he goes to the cross and hands himself over to darkness. And he rules in the circumstances that you face today, even when they seem totally out of control. And so we see a a saviour, a ruler, who goes to a cross because of a tragic uh, betrayal. Yes, on the surface it looks like a mess, a failure, But Luke wants us to step back and to look at the details and to see that Jesus goes to his death, yes, because of a betrayal, but as the son of man, the one who will rise to rule the everlasting king, as one full of compassion, he goes there to rescue people like you and me. And he goes there quite deliberately and in control. That's the sort of Lord and Saviour that we have this evening. I wonder if you know that Lord and Saviour. I'd love to talk to you if you don't, but if you do, let's rejoice to trust in a Lord and Saviour like this, this evening. Well, let me pray that we would. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the details of Luke's account. Thank you for every little detail that he gives us that we might have confidence as we trust in you, that you really are the king, the Lord and savior that we need, the great son of man who has compassion on us. And we pray that you might give us such a confident faith even this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.